0: The cat sat on the Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. I'm Dana, also known as DanaMite781 across the social medias. Welcome to season three of This Should Be in a Book and part three in the Daddy Discussion series. Much like the motherhood monologues that closed out season two, these discussions dig into the societal stigmas and pressures surrounding fatherhood. Today, I'm joined by my brother Sabarik as he shares about being a father of 12, and my husband Mike as he shares about the twists and turns that fatherhood is brought about in life being a father of two boys so buckle up and enjoy part three of daddy discussions tune in to the faith over everything podcast which covers literally everything whether it's pop culture religion politics relationships fashion and beauty entertainment black culture we are talking about it all Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode available for your listening pleasure on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, you name it. Also, feel free to follow us on the following pages. Instagram is faith over everything underscore podcast or on Facebook. The page is faith over everything. Thank you for tuning in. Well, guys. I have my brother Saberic with me on the show today. Um, I know y'all are probably like, how many siblings does she have? (laughs) Because I had like a bunch of my sisters on last month and this month um, I'm already talking about a brother (laughs) Um, or brothers, because I've got like three of them coming on here. But um, anyway, uh, Saberic is one of my brothers. Yes, I have a lot of siblings. I have been blessed and fortunate to have you know, a lot. (laughs) God saw fit to add to my family. (laughs) Anyway, um, so Sibaric is um, my my husband's brother, but he's my brother, you know, period. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to shut up and let him introduce himself a little better than I ever could.
1: Okay, well, first off, thank you, Dana, for having me.
2: You're
1: welcome. For you you all who don't know, as she stated, yes, that is my sister. I often tease her and say, I think that we are actually related (laughs) because our thought process, hey man, you can't beat a better connection than that sometimes. But um, I am a native of Columbus, Georgia, Um, ventured out a little bit when I was younger Um, in the music field, ventured out, signed a music contract came back, and I have been here since. However, um, when I was younger, um, at the age of five, um, and I'm jumping right in, when I was five, I was molested by a woman. Um, When I turned 17, I began to realize what had happened. I started having visions in my head and flashbacks and things of that nature. So. I began to get angry. I was frustrated, irritated, agitated, all the aideds. I set out to seek revenge on all women for what was done to me. So um, I began my quest on doing so. And I mean, it was like here, there, everywhere. I mean, women all over the US, I just, I just, it was like I was insatiable in doing so i came across a few women that um became impregnated (laughs) and um let's fast forward a little bit (laughs) um due to that i became a father to eight boys and four girls um and for those of you who can count um i know sometimes this this day and age counting is not the strongest tool for people Uh, (laughs) um but yeah so that is 12 kids um but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world and in my early stages of fatherhood I can honestly say that I was being honest I was following in the footsteps that I knew not of I grew up without my father, so I didn't know how to be a father. I had never been fathered. so here I am, just out here having kids, and woo, no idea how to take care of them. Um, very unstable in all of my ways. Um, jobs, just I mean, you know, jumping from job to job. I'm in and out of college, and it just, it was a mess. Yeah, so at some point, um, I kind of started bonding with my kids. But at the time, it just wasn't enough to keep me grounded, you know, Um, in thinking about all the things that had happened to me. I still had that rage and that anger inside. And it just all I wanted to do was get revenge on everybody. I didn't care. And so that's what I did. And I would say within the last probably 10 years or so, um, because my birth mother passed in 2003, and so she didn't get to meet all of my kids. Mm -hmm. And um, that was another problem. You know, you're already going down a path. You got all these kids. Your mom passes and you don't really have a father. I had met my father right before my mother passed. So I'm thinking, you know, hey, you know, I got balance here. And the moment he came in, he came in kind of like a disciplinarian. Mm -hmm. And I was, just to be blunt, I was like, who does this nigga think he is?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm grown. I don't know you like that. So you don't have that respect. Um so we went on, you know, I I started giving him an opportunity to kind of be a father figure anyway. Didn't really work out. Um I got closer to his wife than him. She became a pillar in my life. And I mean, for the next, whoo, what, 10 to 13 years, she was who I was clinging to mm-hmm. spiritually and naturally. Um, she took me in like her own DNA. Mm-hmm. So um, those two women have been very pivotal for my life. But the thing was they were they were imparting seeds that had not grown. So in the process of the seeds growing, I was still out here doing my thing. You <laughs> know? <Get up. laughs> um, I did a lot. I was in and out of jail. Um, at one time, I was stripping. Um, I did a lot of things. You know, I was a gigolo and just jumping from women to, from woman to woman. I even quit my job at one point just to balance women. Um, because I had one woman for every thing. Um, one was the main chick. One was the money. One was the best friend. One got me anything I wanted, you know. And then there was just that other one. She was like the miscellaneous. Mm-hmm. You know, if there was any go in, in between, she was the one. So those were the five women that got pregnant. Um, and got 12 beautiful kids out of it. Um, But at some point, those kids began to change me. Um, In 2000, I wanna say 2006, that was the last time I had ever gone to jail. Um, When the jail cell closed that day I got locked up, something popped in my head. And said I don't want my kids to be anything like me mm-hmm. and so that was a start um, I got out and went to court the judge let me off I mean I ha- it's, it was nothing but God I was facing 30 years wow. and he let me go with five years probation uh, and a hefty fine and like I think 250 hours of community service, which my PO um, never even had me, never even signed me up. So once, and I was still kind of a hustler back then. So my fine was like $3,500. And so when I went to see my probation officer, she told me, well, if you can come up with the $35 before the next time I see you, nobody will know you're on probation, but me and you. So I got out there and I hustled up thirty five hundred, and I never saw her again. Wow. Um, so I was on unsupervised probation for the whole the remainder of the time, which was like what four months, four years, and eleven months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, then I started getting serious with God. Mm. That journey, wow. <laughs> um, I started um, studying. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, the, the chapter on love, which meant nothing at first. I had no idea what love was. Um, my mother took me as far as she could go. I didn't see my father as anything. The only thing I had was my stepmother that I was clinging to and with her and my brothers and sisters, it was like they always supported me. Mm-hmm. It was always like, hey man, you know, you got it, you can do this. Especially my baby sister, Jassy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my that was my heart. Um, Christy, the oldest girl, she was the one that we just sat up sometimes at night just talking till two o'clock in the morning. So those times really helped um the transformation. And it got me all the way to the point where it was a struggle to start seeing my kids because I had been a bad father. Mm. Um, I was in and out. I would see the kids of the mother I was sleeping with at the time. Mm. So, you know, they say home is where the heart is. And I felt like I had no home because I had left my heart in several different places. Ooh. So it was like, hey man, you're everywhere. You are literally everywhere and you know nothing. So I studied that, literally studied that chapter for six straight months every single day until it made an ounce of sense. Um, I was going to church, but I was sitting in the very back. I mean, the last row because i did not want to be there i felt so disconnected from everything and everybody because it was a process i was angry at god i was angry at myself i was angry at my kids moms i mean i think i was even angry at my kids Mm -hmm. i just had a problem um i'll never forget one time we were in service and bishop was speaking and she said hey, God says, put it on the altar. And at the time I'm sitting in the back of the church with my knife, you know, and God was telling me to put my knife on the altar. And I was like, what if, <laughs> you know? So she kept speaking and about two or three minutes later, she came back and said, man, God said, put it on the altar. And I was like, all right then God, if you talking to me, have her say it again. And she kept speaking for about five minutes. And so I was like, see what I'm saying? And all of a sudden she stopped and turned. And she said, I don't know why I'm saying this, but God said, put it on the altar now. And that sanctuary seemed like the green mile. (laughs) Because I got up to take this knife all the way down the aisle. I know I passed like 30 rows. And this is Bible study. So I go and put my knife on the altar, and I'm walking back to my seat, my head is down, and I look up at the monitors. Man, I don't know who that cameraman was, but they zoomed right in on that knife, sitting on that stage. And I was like,
0: really, nigga?
1: (laughs) You just did me like that? I mean, dang. Of all the things to do, I just put a knife On the altar And you gonna just Blast it <laughs> So Um <laughs> But that kind of Opened the door To The communication With God
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um At that point I started feeling Crazy because You know how you first Start talking to God And you're like Um God Um Like It's Me Um <laughs> I don't really know what to say to you, but here I am, okay? So it was that very awkward moment. And um, all of a sudden, I started really building a relationship with my kids. When I started building a relationship with my kids, it was the foundation. And I know everybody says God is the foundation. of I get it. But it was my kids for me. My kids made me want to live differently.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I found God in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I really wanted to be a father, but I had done so much damage to the mothers that they were bitter and upset and angry and all of them wanted to be with me. Mm-hmm. So I had to with all of them. So I was still creating a mess at the same time building a relationship with my kids because I was getting a bond. And um, it it really went a long way. Um, And I went times where I couldn't see my kids um, because mom was pissed off about something. And I got to a point where my oldest kids, mom, she had her husband adopt my kids mm-hmm. and that was another point where i got upset with my father because i didn't have the money to stop it mm-hmm. stop the process and he didn't even put it in the effort mm-hmm. and anyone who knows my father knows he's you know he's, he's got a couple of dollars mm-hmm. um, but he offered nothing And so I lost technically by, according to paper, I lost my kids to adoption. Mm. And they were fed all kinds of negative things. You know, your dad didn't want you, your dad this, your dad that. So I said, you know what? This will never happen to me again in my life. And so my youngest kid's mom started with the same thing oh, you can't see them, oh, you can't this. And I was like, you must be a fool if you think you will ever keep my kids from It gave me so much drive. And I fought and fought and fought until finally, I got a job with Coca-Cola and um, I was part-time, I was working three jobs just to try to pay rent and child support. Rent was only $700. I couldn't afford it. I was
0: struggling.
1: So they finally hired me on full-time, and I just started working. I was like, I want to see my kids. I want to be a father. I want to be this. I want to be that. And um, some of my kids moved to Virginia, and she said the same thing. You'll never see them. And I told her, I don't care where you have my kids. You will not keep me from them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I will travel to wherever I have to. And I'm telling you, it was like fuel. Every time I heard that, you won't see your kids, it was like fuel to the fire. And I was like, yo niggas, is crazy if you think I ain't gonna ever see my kids. That will never happen to me again. So I fought, I started traveling to Virginia at least once a year to see my kids. They would come down here sometimes, built a relationship with them. And then my youngest kids, I just got to the point where i said god they're over there with their mother and she's just not doing enough i think she's probably doing the best that she can but it's not enough they're struggling and if you would take me to this amount on my job i'll go get them and man they called me that next day and was like hey um whatever was happening we're gonna take you this amount and it was the exact amount I had told God if you take me to I'm going to get them I left that office (laughs) and I called her I said yo I'm on the way to get my kids right now I don't care what you gotta say I don't care how you feel they need some discipline they need this they need that I'm on the way I went and got them and I struggled for like two and a half years because I was paying her child support for kids that lived with me. Mm. And she would not give it back. She was like, I got to pay bills and I got this. So, man, I struggled I I started getting credit cards. I maxed out four cards, Mm -hmm. just trying to get clothes and groceries and, you know, pay bills. And then all of a sudden this pandemic happened. and. when god started really showing out because in the midst of a pandemic i started fighting harder than i ever had and april 1st march 16th of last year i went to court and covid they shut everything down like that next week Mm -hmm. it was like the 23rd and i went to i had gone to court right before it hit and they shut everything down and the judge Gave me 100% custody of my kids. Hmm. Um, Their mom didn't even bother to show up. I went to court four times. She didn't show up not once. So, um, I wrote out a parenting plan. I had given her every weekend, every holiday, the whole summer, her birthday, Mother's Day. And when the judge... Said, oh, she's not here? He threw the parent plan out. Hmm. He said, "You will see, they will see her on your terms. Wow. So I said, okay. And so I walked out of there. He said, you want anything else? I said, just drop that dog on child support. <laughs> Get that. <laughs> so he gave me that. And like I said, the first two and a half years was a struggle. She set me up for failure. She took the child support. She filed them on her income tax. When the stimulus started coming, she got the stimulus. And I was over here just struggling. I went to my dad and I was like, look, I need some help because I'm about to lose everything. I was about to, man, I I really couldn't even pay my rent. You know, um, power bill two months behind and you know, they' about to get. It's about to get cut off. The gas got cut off. I think one time, and I was able to turn it back on. And man, it was. It was. I was struggling. And then my. I, my dad said something that was that gave me even more fuel. Because I went to him and I said, "Listen, it's August. If you could just help me pay my rent for the rest of the year, it'll give me some room to set up some stuff." And, and his response to me was well, you know, I got to pay taxes on the house. And that was the last thing I heard. I don't know what else he said. Because at that point, I couldn't even be mad at him. I was like, this dude is just being who he is. And reality is just slapping me in the face. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, God, I'm going to put 100% trust in you. And I'm going to see what you're going to do. I did my part, he did his. And once again, in the midst of a pandemic, I became financially stable. Um, I pay all my bills myself. I buy all of their food, their clothes, their, you know, the necessities. I don't get child support, she pays nothing. And I'm just like, God, you really showed out. You took this guy who was even back in 2003, well, 2004, after my mom passed and I ran through the little money she left, I was homeless. Mm-hmm. I was living out of my expedition. Mm-hmm. People didn't even know it. I was coming to church, smiling and stuff. And people were like, oh man, you looking good. You losing weight. And I was like, well, you know, I'm doing my thing. I wasn't eating. I couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. At that time I was eating I would buy a can of Hormel chili with beans, of course. Um, (laughs) And I ate half of it for for like lunch and the other half for dinner. So when I say struggling, the struggle was real. So I fought for the next 17 years up to now to have to be blessed with the home that I have. Four bedrooms, three baths, tri-level house that I pay for, three kids, no assistance. And I owe it all to to God. Um, And I do do proudly say that I fought and I worked for this. So I have something that no one can take from me. Um, There were some things I just wanted to do as a man then there were some things i wanted to do to be honest as a black man mm-hmm. i had fallen into a lot of statistics mm-hmm. the gang stuff going to jail all these kids and i said oh nah, we gotta turn this around so um i know i've been going on a long time but that's everything in a nutshell uh, of how i became a single father and I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world.
0: I know you said that three of your children live with you now. Um, with the other nine, I'm sorry. <laughs> with the <laughs> other nine. Um, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> OK. <laughs> I mean, Ow. you know, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah with the other nine um what is the dynamic like between you and them now
1: um talk to them all the time Mm -hmm. they all have phones so i reach out to them um because my son uh, my youngest son asked me something last week um because he's having issues with his mom and he said dad is, it on the, is the responsibility on the child or the parent to establish a relationship? And I was like, boy, where did you get that question?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I told him, I said, well, to be honest, son, it's on the parent. Mm-hmm. The child does have to be willing mm-hmm. to receive it, but the parent ought to be reaching out to the child. Mm-hmm. The child should not have to be seeking what they need from their parent. You brought them in this world. It's your responsibility. So I started taking it as my responsibility, my duty to to do this. Mm-hmm. So that's what I started doing. And it's like, hey, um, as Ann Harmon used to say, come hell, high water, sink or swim, <laughs> I'm going all the way. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing. and um. I've actually established a relationship with all nine That's good. and I'm still praying about the other three. <laughs> oh yeah, we ain't, we ain't gave up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's a whole other, you know, topic for another day. I mean, I guess it still what? falls under this topic, but you know, <laughs> there's just a lot of different dynamics, you know, within, within that one. Um, but right. I think it is beautiful and commendable that you have, you know, just taken responsibility for, you know, the things that you set up and are and are now, you know, being responsible with with the results of, you know, of, you know, what you what you did. <laughs> um, what I
1: create, my bed.
0: Yeah, what you created. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, if if there was a um, a man who was in a similar situation, whether it be um, someone who is maybe estranged from his children, or someone who has you know multiple children with um, different um, mothers who doesn't necessarily know how to connect with either the parent, the mother, or the children, um, like what would you say to him? to just kind of encourage him and give him kind of just some some foundational things to start to implement into his life so that he can develop those relationships and heal the relationships with the mothers and all of that stuff
1: um the first thing i would say is you have to learn to correct yourself first because you'll probably reach out and get no response for a long time. Mm -hmm. But that's when you have to do what the Bible calls dying to yourself daily. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way God told it to me and the reason I got to this point with these kids is he told me, son, you have to be relentless. And I know we talk about, you know, um, oh, yeah, it's like finding a needle in the haystack. I don't think we really, we talk about that. I don't think we realize how serious that is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Finding a needle in a haystack. Right. When the needle is the smallest thing in there. Mm-hmm. And I chose to get the needle. Mm-hmm. I said, even if I have to go straw by straw. I've put up with a lot of hell. I've been dogged out, talked about. I've been, you know, talked down to, faced the truth. I mean, face the lies. I had to go through it all, mm-hmm. but I had a determination. And that's the thing you have to make up in your mind, what is important. And at the end of the day, the kids are the important part. Don't look at what you're going through. And that's going to be hard. That's going to be the hardest part, not looking at what reality is right now. Mm -hmm. But you have to make up in your mind, I'm still going. And you still have to die to yourself because you're going to be tempted to respond and react. But if you ever respond and react, it's going to put you right back at ground zero. So you have to go in knowing I'm about to get beat about like Jesus did. They might spit on me, they might they might you know hit me with these cat of nine tails. I mean they, they, hey, they might do a lot of things, but I have to keep my focus. So the biggest thing is focus, focus, focus. Let your kids be the important part, not you, not the other parent, the kids.
0: Hey guys, I'm Shari. And I'm Sharice. And we are the Optimistic Divorcees, two happily divorced women who are optimistic about life, but real about love. Catch our new podcast on your favorite podcast platform with new episodes dropping every Monday where we talk about life, love, and everything in between. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Opt That's T H E O P T D I V O R C E E S. Bye. All right. So today, y'all, I am joined by my first in-person guest. <laughs> Everybody else has been like virtual, but I'm joined by my first in-person guest because he actually lives in the house with me. It is my husband Mike and he is the father of our two children, Aaron and Eric. And I am going to let him talk about what this life is like.
2: <laughs> Hello, Dana and all this should be in a book. Listening audience, I am that baby daddy. I'm Michael Grant, and I am, um, of course, Dana's husband, and I am the father of our two strapping lads, Aaron and Eric. And um, honored to do so. This has been a journey in fathering, and um, <laughs> it's, uh, of course, like anything else in life, as a journey, it has its highs. And it has its lows, but um, <clears throat> all of my good days outweigh my bad days. I won't complain. Let's figure. I sing a little bit, no. But uh, pa- parenting has been it's been fun. Uh, thinking back over the journey of parenting, I um, as far back as I can remember, when I came of age to you know. Potentially marrying, um, have children. I always desired children. I always thought that we'd have a girl, or that I would father a girl first. Um, but <laughs> we actually got two boys, and um, so I, I, you know, I, I thought that would be easy, um, and um, found out real quickly that it. Probably was not as easy as I thought it would be, Um, but nonetheless, love our sons. Was excited. I was excited about uh, Aaron, our firstborn, when I found out that he was uh, in the womb. Uh, Dana talked about before how um, we talked about before how you know you surprised me on my birthday, letting me know that uh, we were expecting, and uh, man, I was ecstatic. I was. I was so excited pumped up and um, really excited about him just getting here. You know, it almost felt like I was uh, I wanted him to hurry up and get here. But the process of, you know, seeing uh, your body change and seeing, um, you know, images of him developing and so forth. I never forget that first image that we saw of his head. And uh, I was like, both of us actually were like, yeah, you can't deny this one. (laughs) in the womb. It looked like a mini version of me. Um, And I think, honestly, that that very notion is kind of the the thing that is very misleading when it comes to parenting children. Um, It's that, you know, you assume that they're going to be many versions of you, uh, smaller versions of you. I, I assumed that You know, our firstborn son was going to be my little protege, you know, and he was going to be he was going to want to be like me, want to do everything I did. Only to find out this kid had, you know, a personality and a mind of his own. Um, You know, and that, you know, the the important thing that I quickly learned as a, a new father was to not try and force this human being to try and be who you who you were or who I, I am or who I was not forcing him to be what I wanted him to be but giving him the space to develop in our household in our culture uh, to become the best version of himself as he continues to uh, grow through the phases of life uh, let him become the best version of himself that he could be that means that you know had to give him space to make choices give him space to, um, you know, make bad decisions and learn from them, teach him along the way. And uh, amazingly, what I what I noticed was as I observed him growing into the person that uh, he is now, I was continually growing into a better version of a father. Uh, I look at how I parent him now as a father can't speak for, you know, Dana, how you parented him as a mother, though. I think we it's our it's our at least our goal to work together and do so effectively. But uh, I, I've observed that the way that I father him now is is greatly different from the way that I did when I first started. And uh, it's different than the way I, I guess I'll say it this way, the the way that I want to father is different from the way that I wanted to father back then because I think, you know, as a little one, I, I was much more forceful at trying to make him fit into my mold. Um, and I, you know, I think there's some some um, healthy approaches to setting standards, setting guidelines just within the household for children to have a, sen- a you know a sense of discipline and grow up in a in a healthy environment, a structured environment, but. You know, trying to force them to fit into a mold that really did not fit his personality. I don't even desire to 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 father him that way anymore. So, it's been a unique journey, and it's been it's been fun. It's been one of growth for me, and uh, I think we all know, if we're honest with ourselves, that growth is not always comfortable. You know, when we have to go through go through changes, and when we have to adjust. And change our approach to things. Uh, it's not always comfortable, but the results that come out of it are very rewarding, and that's what I've noticed um, about you know growing as a parent and, and fathering, um, especially fathering minority males. There's just things you know that they don't see, things that they don't not don't don't um, acknowledge, things that they're not aware of. That as a minority male myself. Uh, I see it and I want to shelter, but also uh, give a certain level of exposure, uh, him a level of exposure to it. But uh, so that he'll be aware, uh, you know, and have a healthy respect for uh, the different dynamics of living in a world um, with those demographics and those dynamics. But um, it's different and it it demands growth and, and it demands patience. It has demanded of me uh, grace. It has demanded of me, you know, the ability to uh, not say everything I want to say when I want to say it. And sometimes just uh, as I, you know, I actually was talking with my dad some some days ago and we were talking about the importance of just giving people moral victories, you know, just (laughs) say, okay, guy, you can have this one and uh, not dominating him. Uh, so that he can see that as a male he has strength, he has um, you know, some some value. He has not just some value, he has great value and he should not allow himself to be dominated by other individuals and feel feel that he's lesser than. But all of those things are things that I learned along the journey and uh, honestly I'm still learning. Um, but uh, you know, that was, that was to me the big surprise in what I expected parenting to be like, versus what it really, really was. And that was with our first one. Then, you know, out of the blue, unexpectedly came our second son, uh, Eric, who is probably more so like me, personality-wise, um, and uh, and just how he interacts with people, uh, more so than our oldest son. So. It's, it's amazing. It's like you adjust yourself to your firstborn, who's who's a lot different from you and then have the secondborn, who you expect to have to do the same thing. And then you get one that's a lot more like you. So you're like, oh, OK, so, you know, I can I can just parent him like I would have parented myself. Um, Not not, you know, exactly, but very similar in, in you know, how he how he's wired, you know, how he expresses himself, how he expresses love and receives love. It's amazing to see. Okay. The second son is the one that is a lot more like me, but I I though I identify that he's very similar to me. I still respect the fact that we're not the same person and that he has he has to have the space to grow and to develop into the man that he will become. Even though it may be very similar to me, I respect the fact that he's not me. And so um, it's uh, it's it's pretty unique in, in, in how I approach parenting him, our youngest Eric, as opposed to or how I father Eric, as opposed to how I had to adapt and adjust to fathering Aaron. Now, with both of them being in the house together, amazingly, I don't father them the same. I have come to the realization that um, fair doesn't mean the same. And uh, so I aim to be fair to both of them, but I don't treat them both exactly the same because what one needs to feel accepted or loved is not necessarily what the other needs. And so what I found myself doing is just being present, you know, being connected with what each of them value as important, and making sure um, that on a consistent basis, I aim to I aim to do so on a daily basis, multiple times a day. Just when they seek and desire my attention, the way that they want it, um, or the way that they need it, more more specifically, I make sure that I, I I aim to stop what I'm doing and give them the attention and father them in the moments the way that I feel that they need to be fathered and um, the I guess the tough part about it is they want attention at in the least opportune times you know it's like they you, you try and give them why well, I, I try to give them attention when I want to give them attention and uh, in those moments you know they're they're busy doing other things or they don't necessarily want to uh, spend time with dad but The moment that I go and, you know, dive into something else that I had planned or or I needed to get accomplished, then they want my attention. So it's like, man, I I came and I tried to spend time with you then and now you weren't paying me any attention. But now you want my attention and I'm, you know, I'm deep into what I was doing. So, you know, at least one thing I've noticed is they appreciate when despite the fact that I am busy doing things of importance If I take just, you know, 10 seconds, stop what I'm doing and address them or acknowledge them, I see the fulfillment in them. And so, you know, what that tells me is you cannot you cannot, you know, undervalue the power and the influence of a present father in the life of a son. And so I understand that I respect it and you know I'm, I'm not perfect at it obviously but you know i am being perfected in it which means i'm, I'm intentionally attempting to get better at it because um, i want them to feel when they leave our home that they are valued they have purpose they have been heard they know how to be heard and um, they have something to offer society they have something to offer the world as men, as men of God, men of faith, and as men who know what their what what their uh, strengths are. So that's where I am as a father now, enjoying the unexpected outcome of what what fathering has brought, and uh, you know, enjoying the process again. Like I started out saying, the highs, the lows, and the the in betweens. It's uh, it's a joy. It's it's uh, it demands effort in a way that I did not anticipate, but it's one that that I embrace uh, on a daily basis. I don't know what, you know, sometimes you feel like or I feel like you can be frustrated by parenting day after day after day. But I don't know what it'll feel like when they graduate, go to college or start their careers and so forth. I'll probably be looking for them, you know, trying to figure out. Man, life has changed. Now I wish they were here so I so they could bug me or bother me or something along those lines. I guess I'll just have to bug Dana some more. <laughs> but um, you know, I, that being said, I've grown really attached and fond of fathering these uh these little guys who are young men in the making and uh it's a pleasure to do so. If I could, you know, leave words of encouragement to that to those who aspire to be fathers or who are questioning, you know, whether they, you know, have what it takes, maybe, I don't know, or whether you're questioning whether you should embark upon the the great responsibility of, of you know, managing a life or raising a life of another human being. My words to you would be that uh, don't be afraid of a lack of preparedness, because I believe that there's an innate ability within every human being, whether we embrace it, whether we foster it, whether we build upon it or not, there's an innate ability within us that just knows what to do to care for things that we give life to, uh, to care for beings that we, um, you know, bring into the earth. Unfortunately, everyone does not, and that's, I believe, the reason why there are a lot of, you know, wayward. Uh, Children who don't have purpose, who don't know their purpose, rather, or who don't see direction in life because they don't have the example. Unfortunately, you know, their fathers did not take the time to embrace the journey, uh, the the effort that is necessary to mold a life or to give it direction and to be present. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean that they didn't have it in them to do it. Perhaps they just chose not to. And so my encouragement to those who are questioning or who or considering whether or not you want to be a father is don't allow, you know, yourself, don't allow yourself to back out of it because you don't think you're, you are prepared or will be prepared. Something in us, when we realize that we have been a part of creating life, it just activates something within us to, to know what to do or to seek what to do so that we can succeed in, uh, in directing them appropriately. So, You know, all the best to those of you who desire to do so. It is work, but it's worth that. It's it's work that is so rewarding. As the saying goes, it's a labor of love and uh, the reward that comes from the love that you labor in giving direction to another life. Um, Every phase has its priceless rewards that you receive along the journey. You know, I love my sons. I want them to succeed. Um, I don't know what it... Well, I'm learning what it is like to parent a teenager now. And um, so I can only imagine as we get deeper into everything that teenagehood brings, it'll demand more growth of me as a father. But I embrace it, man. I, I welcome it. I'm excited about it. And uh, I don't know the fullness of, of what it will bring, but I welcome it. So... Uh, Though I don't know if I'm fully prepared for it, I believe that when it gets here, I'll be able to to be present enough to give both both of our sons what they need to transition through adolescence into adulthood. So embrace the journey, embrace the process. Don't feel that you're unprepared. So you can't just know that uh, God has placed something on the inside of you to know how to be an example to the next generation and give them what they need.
0: And like Brother Happy said, that's all it' all about. (laughs) I know y'all don't know, or most of y'all don't know who Brother Happy is, but yeah. Thanks, Mike.
2: Only be strong and courageous.
1: Hello, my name is Antonio Cleveland, author of the new children's book, Small Steps. In Small Steps, Mason and his little brother Avery share a special sibling bond. Small Steps is a glimpse into their everyday life. This story is the ultimate tale of perseverance and triumph, all through the eyes of a five-year-old and a six-month-old. In Small Steps, Mason encourages Avery to be courageous, to take his first step, and he reveals to him that he can take small steps until he can go bigger. This is a life lesson for children and adults alike. So whether you're five years old or 35 years old, take a small step today. Pre-order your copy of Small Steps today at MasonAvery.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Mason Avery and on Instagram at Mason Avery Adventures. Be sure to take your small step today.
0: And just like that, we have wrapped up another week of daddy discussions. I think one of my favorite things about holding space for these men to share is being able to hear the heart and the why behind some of the outcomes. We often write people off or cast them away because certain things have taken place without first trying to understand how they got into those certain positions in the first place. It's such a beautiful thing to hear how they each have used their experiences to learn and become wonderful fathers. And even further than that, grow into just wonderful and beautiful people all together. So thank you, Sibaric. And thank you, Mike, for sharing your experiences with us. And thank you for choosing to use your time to tune in. If you're interested, you can follow me on Instagram at dynamite781. And be sure to check the show notes where I'll leave both Sebaric and Mike's information and any source materials that are pertinent to today's subject matter. If you have questions, shareables, or would like to make show topic suggestions, you can DM me on Instagram or email me at thisshouldbeinabook at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you can show your support by visiting the listener support link on my Instagram page or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now and making a financial donation. All proceeds will go toward producing quality content for this show. A special shout-out goes to those who already make monthly contributions and to those who have made one-time donations. In the paraphrased words of my friend Allie, nothing is required, but everything is so greatly appreciated. On that note, I'm going to let y'all get back to your lives. I don't claim to know it all, but I know what I know. Most of the time, we're all just out here trying to get it right, and we don't really know what the hell we be doing. We just cast our net, hope for the best, and live to tell about it. Thanks for listening to me, Saberic, and Mike as we tell about it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Dynamite out.